Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Book Burners, Episode 22. Wandering down the medieval back streets of Central Roads with Asante, Sal couldn't think of anything to say other than, So, you a Norse, huh? The archivist waved derisively with the back of her hand, as if shooing away a small dog. He should be so lucky. Even if he were not, I believe the English expression is an insufferable prick, he is younger than my middle son. They'd left Manchu in the hotel, reviewing and blessing their equipment before the attack tonight. Nobody, so far as Sal knew, had conclusive proof blessings helped. That said, nobody had conclusive proof they didn't. Sal considered letting that one drop, but didn't. You got started young. I started everything young. Asante looked up at the stone walls closing out the sky. This is not the road to the palace of the Grand Master. I know, Sal said. I wanted to see what else was out this way. We don't have much chance to sightsee on these trips. Asante laughed. It reminds me of my old days in the academy. Travel to scenic destinations around the world only to spend your whole stay in the convention center that looks no different from any other. The narrow street opened onto a cobblestone square beside the city wall. It's amazing these have lasted so long. They built fortifications to last in the old days, Asante said. The Knights of St. John spent centuries defending themselves against invasion, or from a more accurate perspective, centuries defending their invasion from counterattack, and they accumulated fortunes of plunder. They clung to this island like an eagle to a tortoise. In the end, though, Suleiman the Magnificent was too much for them. Asante blinked herself back from the reveries of ages past. I find no appeal in Mr. Norse. If you say so. Sal's gaze descended from the ramparts to a squat stone building, a watch house or gatehouse, maybe? What's that? Without waiting for an answer, she jogged across the street. New Yorkering passed an onrushing Audi. He is, I'll admit, Asante said when she caught up, a compelling adversary. I wish the society would give me nearly so free a hand as he enjoys. Halfway up the stairs, Sal turned back. 
You want to kill people and raise zombies? Two locals glanced over, confused. Sal grinned and waved, and they moved along, hopefully thinking they'd misheard the English. Asante bought a basket of cherries from a fruit vendor and followed Sal up the stairs. Of course not. Though, were such activities moral, there are a few people I joyfully terrify. She chewed a cherry, swallowed, and spit the pit over the staircase's edge. Sal wondered how many of Asante's victims would belong to the society. His freedom to explore magic does interest me. We stand on the brink of many possible futures. Topias, you and this jockey for position. Norse is right, in a way. This society and organizations like it can only protect the status quo so long. If the current rash of mystical intrusions is not a storm season or even a tide, but a rise in sea level, we may not have decades to acquire the knowledge we need. We may not have years. Jesus. That would certainly be one possible outcome of an influx of magic, Asante said, contemplating the cherries and the square. Some elements in the society no doubt believe, or would like to believe, that our traumas herald a second coming or similar messianic event. Seriously? Not so many as you would find in some Protestant circles in your country, but I've heard people make this argument. In some ways, this is a hopeful read on the situation, that the hierarchy believes everything is proceeding according to plan. There was, if you'll remember, a film in the 1990s asserting that global warming was the result of an alien plot. The alternative, that my reports are being read and then ignored because systematic change is difficult and the current, let's dignify it with the term solution, seems to work, is, she searched the sky for the right word, unsettling. Norse's freedom attracts me. His wealth lets him study as he wills without consequence, save, of course, the general lethal consequences of dabbling in magic, which he seems to have avoided so far. Some people have all the luck. Why not work outside the system? Asante turned to Sal, head cocked, one eyebrow raised. I'm not suggesting you go over to the dark side, just, I bet you have your reasons, and they're better than because I'd get in trouble. It's a complicated subject. Cherry? She offered Sal one, and she ate. It tasted more sweet than tart, rich and fresh and full. Cherries come from around here, just up the coast through the Hellespont past Troy, on an island smaller than this one. Cool, Sal said, chewing. I could have been lying just then, you know. Were you? You trust me. But here's the funny thing. I trust myself, too. I'm smart, I think deeply, and for the most part, well. I've been right often in the past, though not always. So how can I tell if I'm lying to myself? If I believe a certain moral corner must be cut, certain risk must be taken, how do I know whether I'm right or whether I'm listening to a demon's voice in my ear? Reason models its own progress poorly. But you and Arturo and Grace and Liam, I care about you all. I would not hurt you. If I find myself forgetting that, if you become acceptable losses, I know I've strayed. Like Liam's tripwires, his possession tests. Similar, Asante allowed. I'm in danger on my own. If I'm to be part of this secret world, I need to stand beside friends. Some days, to be honest, I wish none of this was real. But I was assembling occult knowledge in some research library for pure curiosity's sake. You could try this place. Sal pointed over her shoulder with her thumb to the open door at the top of the stairs. Rhodes Public Library? 
It says here the building goes back to the Knights. I'll consider it. Asante chose two cherries, ate one, passed the second to Sal. Come on, let's see what trouble Arturo's made for himself. I, Liam said as he climbed the hotel stairs, have a fantastic personality. Seriously? Grace's voice crackled in his ear. You're still on about this? I am a witting, charming, intelligent man who stands by his friends. And among your many fine qualities, you are great at letting things go. He consulted the room number on the cocktail napkin for a third time and counted down doors to 314. I'm just trying to understand what I've done wrong in your eyes, so I can mend my erring ways. No one up or down the hall? He checked his smile in his cell phone reflection. Looking, if not good, then at least inoffensive. Cell phone back in pocket, crack the neck, roll the shoulders, game face on. Check the seal on the champagne. He wrapped shave and a haircut on the door. When Tariq opened it, he grinned and tried not to feel bad. Hi. If you want the truth, Grace said over the earpiece. How about your morose self-pity, self-defeating mockery, and crushing attacks of guilt make me uncomfortable? He kept his smile broad. Tariq's roommate bowed out quickly and left the pair of them alone. Game face, Liam told himself as the man took his arm. He poured champagne, they clinked glasses. Tariq drained his, he looked happy. Then his features went slack and the rest of him followed. Liam set down his own undrunk glass. His lips tingled numb where they'd touched the drugged liquid. Should wear off in a few minutes. Sorry, Tariq. He laid the man out on his bed, checked the vitals. All good. He hated drugging people. See what I mean? Guilt. What church do you think we work for again? The Northern Vermont Provincial Church of Fluffy Rabbits and Joyful Acoustic Guitar? I don't think Vermont's a province. You know what I mean. Hold on. He heard a series of grunts and short, sharp impacts of flesh and bone on bone and flesh. As if you have room to complain about personality conflicts, oh, damn, sans merci. A growl on the other end of the line. Metal clanged off concrete. Liam found Tariq's fatigues in the closet and his boots shined. The fatigues were roughly his size. He'd have to fake the boots. This might be the most honest conversation we've had in all the years we've worked together, and we're only having it now because I'm fed up. I have reasons, she said. The mic picked up a swoosh of something heavy passing just overhead, then a man's voice cursing in maybe Turkish. For a long time now, I thought talking about myself was a waste of time. I know. He poured the rest of the champagne down the sink, wiped the bottle with a rag, and let himself out with a brief apologetic salute to the unconscious Tariq. God himself knows I have my secrets. We all do. I understand you and Sal have a connection we don't share, wherever it comes from. I'm just asking you to consider how that might make me feel. Come down here, Grace said, and get in the car. Infiltrations were Grace's least favorite part of covert ops. They almost never worked against a prepared enemy. She liked shadows and sneaking up from behind. Failing all those, fair fights had their charm. But to insert yourself into a unit, you couldn't look too suspicious, couldn't hide. You had to move and act like you belonged there, when of course you didn't. Norris, fortunately, lacked a military background and seemed to have been arrogant or hurried enough to have resisted hiring an on-site advisor. 
When they drove Tariq's car to the camp at sunset, the explanation Liam offered, Tariq and his partner are patrolling the woods. They brought us in for the gate. Seemed to work. The guards coming off shift told them where to park and retired to the mess tent. Not for the first time, Grace wondered how many systems were two bad lies away from collapse. Stars emerged. Behind her, a generator coughed to life. Grace drew a flashlight, faced it toward the ridgeline, and blinked it three times. She saw a gleam in answer. Fine, Sal and the others were in place. They'd approach, Grace and Liam would let them through, and with luck, they'd reach the central tent before anyone noticed. This crazy idea just might work. Then she heard a click. Draw off the flashlight, said a voice of wind chimes and gravel. And the gun, or he dies. Grace's cross chilled and burned at once against her skin. She let the flashlight fall, unholstered the gun slowly, ejected the magazine and tossed mag and gun away. Small loss, she never liked that gun anyway. Not that she liked any guns. Turn around, slowly. The thing that held Liam, its fingers like knives against his throat, its gun against his temple, was not even close to human. It had a face like a broken promise. Red lenses clicked and refocused in its eyes, and dark oil trickled between the blades it had in place of teeth. A homunculus. That was why Norse's servant had looked blurry on the hotel room camera. She wasn't wearing magic or using magic. She was magic. The soldiers flanking the homunculus, though, they were plenty human and did not seem to notice or care that their companion wasn't. They had their rifles out and level. Norse must have used a glamour to make the homunculus seem normal to people who weren't wearing silver. Saved having to explain his demons to the hired help. Grace hated magic. On even ground, she could probably beat this thing, but she couldn't move fast enough to stop it before it cut Liam's throat or put a bullet in his brain. Sorry, Liam said. She raised her hands and did him the favor of not looking in his eyes. I surrender. They cuffed her wrists behind her. The homunculus watched and did not let Liam go until Grace was bound. Come the homunculus said. He wants to meet you. Grace knew many languages and swore silently in most of them. Fuck, Sal said and passed Asante the binoculars. They're taking them to the central tent, Asante said. The homunculus has Liam hostage. Maybe it'll get careless. Maybe Norse doesn't know what Grace can do. Unlikely, Menchu said. Magic calls to magic. That thing won't give Grace a fighting chance, he frowned. At least it has to deal with them now, which means it won't be around to stop us. We have the jeep, we could ram the gates, drive toward the tent. Come on, father, Sal shook her head. Grace said a frontal assault on this place wouldn't work. Asante lowered the binoculars. I see only one option. No, Manchu said. I understand your negativity, but magic has tried to kill us every time we've used it. We don't have much choice, unless you want to fight Norse once he has the book, without Liam or Grace. Manchu paced the roadside in silence until the words came. Even if we did want to use magic, how? Norse has time on his side, machines, tools, knowledge. We are agents of the church, Asante said, like the knights. That gives us a head start. We need something connected to the library of the Knights of St. John. The study in the palace of the Grand Master, perhaps. An archive or treasure house, some place with a mirror. 
You're suggesting we break into a major historical site in the next two hours without Grace or Liam. Do you have any better ideas? The silence between the priest and the archivist stretched taut and angry, and Sal had to force herself to say, I do. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Four. Miss Chen, Mr. Doyle. Norris welcomed them with an offhand wave, but did not look up from his console. Kind of you to join us. He turned a knob, and the chance that filled the room adjusted pitch and speed. Do get comfortable. The tent was brightly lit and empty, save for Norris and his machines. Two chairs faced the warped mirror in the wire circle. Sit, the homunculus said. A trickle of blood ran down Liam's neck and stained his shirt. A claw had slipped, or else he'd breathed too deeply. Before the mirror lay the farmer trapped inside his sack of skin. Grace met Liam's eyes and sat. The homunculus walked Liam to the chair beside her. When the knife fingers left his throat, he tried to rear up and tackle the homunculus, but it struck him across the temple with its gun, and he fell into the chair. The homunculus retreated, gun leveled on Liam, until it was far enough away to watch and shoot them both if needed. Grace waited. Beside her, Liam bled. The chanting grew. Fluid gurgled down translucent coils at the tent's edges. She did not want to know what kind of fluid it was. She strongly suspected she knew anyway. Norse frowned and adjusted other knobs on what Grace assumed was a mixing board. The sound didn't change, but she felt a shift in her bones and blood. It's amazing what you can do, the mechanical Turk, 
Norse said, though no one had asked him. Magic likes human minds. They're its favored operating platform. Someday we'll have artificial intelligence for this sort of thing, selective brain simulation, and we'll be able to conduct massively parallel incantations. For now, simple human intelligence tasks are best performed by humans compensated so cheaply for the loan of their brains. Like, say, an hour's repetitive chanting of a Skype, timing forced via click track. A slider sharpened the treble of the sound. Lag's an issue, hence the mixing board. And it turns out there are a handful of ancillary effects for which blood and other humors serve as a focus or insulator, hence the machines. Cultists are easier and more traditional, but their care and feeding has ruined richer men than me. I'll stick with a modern method. Grace waited. Liam watched Norse and his homunculus, burning with rage Grace understood, but refused to let herself share. The machines burbled. No questions, no protestations that I'll never get away with this. I'd hope for conversation at the very least. Grace smiled at him. Fair enough, I work best on my own. He fussed over the board for almost an hour, singing softly to the chant now and again, pressing one ear closed with his finger to test his pitch. The words twisted inside her, wriggled through her blood. Liam roared in pain. Stop it, you bastard. Norse flicked a switch. The chanting stopped. No, I was wrong. She could still feel the hooks in her heart, the worms beneath her skin. But the chant had transformed, vibrating some medium other than air. She grimaced. Nails scraped the chalkboard of the world. The tent pulsed and bulged like an animal rotting from the inside. The warped, misshapen mirror in the center of the room was no longer warped or misshapen at all. The once bubbled glass surface lay smooth as a reflecting pool. The frame stood just and true. Norse took a bow. No one clapped. He knelt beside the bound man. A knife blade painted a line of red down the center of the flesh that should have been his face. Approaching the mirror, Norse wet his fingers with blood from the knife and drew a circle on the glass. When the circle closed, the glass disappeared. Beyond the mirror's frame, Grace glimpsed gleaming stone, a checkerboard floor, and light. She could stop him. Even if the homunculus tagged her with that 45, she was fast enough, probably. If he didn't have other protections in place, if she didn't mind letting Liam die. She shouldn't mind. Fate of the world at stake. What do you do, stop the bad guy or save your friends? Nor stepped through the mirror, and Grace watched him go. Breaking into the Rhodes Public Library turned out to be easier than Sal expected, at least until the alarms started going off. It's a good thing, Menchu observed as they ran past a circulation desk lit by strobing emergency lights. That magic doesn't need concentration or silence. He had to shout to be heard over the sirens. Breaking into stuff isn't my job, Sal said. It's not my fault an evil wizard took our B&E team hostage. This was your plan, Manchu replied, which she really wished he had not pointed out. This way, Asante led them down a modern staircase. At least here, the sirens weren't echoing off bare stone. We don't have much time, Sal said. The cops will arrive soon. We're almost there. What are we looking for? Anyway, some old artifact? Not exactly, Asante said and opened the door to the women's bathroom. Buzzing fluorescent lights illuminated green institutional tile. Manchu skidded to a stop. What? 
The records describe a purification chamber with a mirror and a library owned by the Knights of St. John. This is as close as we will get. Asante opened her purse and removed a cigarette lighter, a sleeve of needles, a thin paintbrush, and a silver bowl, setting each on the makeup shelf beneath the bathroom mirror. If I'm right, Norse's work has, let's say, dug a well, bringing our world closer to wherever the knights sent their archive when they left Rhodes. We don't need his resources to dive into that well alongside him. She burned the needle's tip black with the lighter, pricked her finger, and squeezed a drop of blood into the bowl. Asante licked the paintbrush to a fine point, wet it in the blood, and drew a circle and a line of sharp letters, not quite Greek, on the mirror. Above, Sal heard a battering ram strike the library's front door. The mirror remained a mirror. Asante burned the next two needles and passed them to Sal and Menchu. The magic needs to know all of us. Manchu glared at Asante, at the needle, then stuck his finger. Sal felt her wound, not as pain exactly, too much adrenaline for that. But as a warmth that collected in the red drop, she added to Asante's bowl. Upstairs, the front door gave and booted feet stampeded into the circulation area. Asante elaborated on her design. The blood trail burned with black flame. It pressed against the mirror as if against a rubber sheet, but still could not break through. Shouts in Greek from above, clear and sharp. Sal didn't know the language, but she knew the sentiment. Search orders. Asante frowned, considering. What are we missing? Menchu asked. Confession. The words slipped out of Sal's mouth before she realized she'd been about to speak. Asante laughed as if there were not booted feet approaching down the stairs. Of course. We don't have time for confession, Menchu said. An abbreviated form, surely. The magic needs fuel, that's all. Tell it your sin, father. She leaned toward the mirror and said, mine is pride. The fire leapt and the mirror flexed inward. Menchu sighed and leaned in. Wrath. The glass cracked. A cop tried the door, which didn't open. So I wondered who'd locked it. The cop's full weight struck the wood. Panels, latch, and hinges all held. Sal joined them at the mirror. She meant to say lust, because it probably counted. But she did not hear the word that actually slipped from her lips before the mirror shattered and pulled them in. Liam, in the tent, glared at the homunculus with the gun. He'd worked his hands free from the cuffs. That was easy. All he needed was a bobby pin and time. But he couldn't trick his way out from under fire. Light seeped from the mirror, corrupting, glistening like spilled oil at sunset. Norse was in there. How long would it take the man to get the book? If they could break the machines, maybe close the mirror off with him on the other side, drowning in whatever monster land the knights had used to hide their archive, maybe it wouldn't matter. Maybe even with the codex, he wouldn't be able to tunnel home. A man could hope. That was all they had left now. His fault, all of it. He hadn't heard the homunculus creep up behind him. There must have been signs. He turned left to Grace. I'm sorry. Grace stared back, then let her eyes slip sideways toward Norse's abandoned console. He read the message. Go for it. In spite of the homunculus with the gun, in spite of certain death. Could have happened to anyone, she said. She must have a plan. He didn't know what it could be. She was strong, yes, fast, yes not that strong, not that fast. No one was. When her eyes returned to his, he waited for a breath and blinked once. 
okay. He could not say with a blink, whatever you're planning, it better be good. I trust you, he said. Grace went loose all over. He recognized that slack, the softening of muscles ready to work. Her shoulders rolled. Her hands were still bound. He tried not to think about that. He measured 10 slow breaths, then ran. Sal stood on a checkerboard floor in a vaulted stone room. Stone shelves crammed with books covered the walls, but the books were suggestions, memories. They shifted when she wasn't looking. Only one book in the room was still. She had not expected the Codex Umbra to be so small. It rested on a stone lectern behind a towering figure of golden light, whose face was branded with a shadowy cross. Manchu and Asante took shape beside her, or else she had just noticed them. And across from them, also facing the Codex and its guard, stood Alexander Norse. Sal tried to run for the book, but she could not move. A current flowed through her. No, that wasn't quite right. Her muscles were wrong, too solid, too unyielding. She could let herself go if she tried, flow beyond her skin and become something else, everything else. She remembered a carpet of fingers and a door of hair, remembered a goblin in a small apartment in Madrid, and ignored the temptation. She focused on her bones and skin. She existed. She stayed human, for now. You have come for the book, the light said. There is no other purpose here. Why do you seek its power? The light did not move, but Sal felt its attention rake across her skin. Something deep within her chest, some secret guilt or shame curled into a ball, pressed itself into the shadows of her being and hid. She tried to speak, but she could not find her tongue. Norse seemed to have no trouble. I have come to continue the old master's work. I call the magic to my service and the service of mankind. He lies. Asante's voice was deeper and steadier than Norse's. She strode forward, full of command, and the library flexed beneath her feet. He has abased himself in search of power. He has no order, he has no comrades, and his mind is broken. The light burned in silence. Norse's laugh was cold and harsh. What are you talking about? Haven't you noticed it by now, Alex? You have a demon in you. Liam dove for the console, flying more than running, a horizontal line above the earth. The gun spoke. He didn't know what being shot would feel like. Bullet scars on his torso suggested he must have known several times, but that had been during his possession, and he doubted demons or humans ridden by them, felt pain the same way as mortals of the unmodified type. But all the stories he had heard suggested he would have felt something. He didn't. The homunculus fired three times more, but Liam was behind Norse's control panel by then, breathing hard, glancing down, no blood, heart racing, sweating everywhere at once. God, Grace. He risked a glance around the panel's edge. She lay on the ground, unmoving, in front of her chair. No, she couldn't be, she couldn't have. He wouldn't allow it. Her arms were in front of her, somehow. And there was something wrong about her shoulders beneath the jacket. 
As he watched, they clicked back into their sockets. One of Grace's hands lay in front of her on the bare earth. It was bleeding. The homunculus's attention drifted toward her. Liam shouted, hey, ugly. Two more gunshots answered, splintering the panel. Grace moved. A demon, impossible. I wouldn't go that far, Asante said. The codex has been hidden for hundreds of years, and yet you hunted this place down yourself, alone. I'm smart. I have money and magic. So do others who want this book. Do you think you are smarter, more powerful, more rich than the maitress? Norse wavered. His outline smudged, and while he did not lose balance, his form shifted from side to side as if he were a painting on a flag blown in a high wind. Asante stepped forward. I'm more ruthless, Norse said, more aggressive. Tradition binds the others, blinds them. While your eyes were open, because something opened them for you, you stayed one step ahead of us this entire hunt. I started before you. You knew where to go. You found the one book in an archive that might have helped you. You killed the Pythia just before we could ask her how to beat you. The world's full of strange coincidences, but they do stack up. You're grasping at straws. You want to make me doubt myself. I want you to doubt yourself, Asante said, because there's a monster in your mind, and it's ridden you this far because he wants that book, to call each other monster friends to play. I would have seen. No, she said. You wouldn't. You have your resources, your powers. But what friends would have held you back from the brink? Who would have noticed the demon dig its claws into your mind? Grace moved faster than anything Liam had ever seen, blurring to tackle the homunculus, which staggered beneath her. She kicked its leg and the metal bent. He'd seen her fight before, but never like this. She was not just good. She was unnatural. Magical. He'd known, of course, suspected, but never asked, because if he'd asked, he would have had to accept that this person who fought beside him was touched by the same force that had claimed his mind and destroyed his old life. She was magical, and she'd saved him. He heard footsteps outside, soldiers coming. Grace had the homunculus distracted, and he could probably figure out this panel, but she'd be exposed. Fast as she was, he doubted she could outrun fire from automatic weapons. Damn it. He edged toward the tent flap and hid behind Norse's burbling blood tanks. A merc stepped through, saw Grace, raised his rifle, and Liam took the rifle from him and hit him in the face. This, at least, felt right. Norse blurred again. I learn the secret ways of power. Demons answer when I call them. Magic obeys my command. Magic commands, she said, and you obey. No. Desperation shone naked in his eyes. Look into your past, Alex. Remember the night you were alone and scared, and a voice whispered to you, offering freedom, offering control? You let that voice lead you, and you've been led ever since. You're being led now. Is it you that wants the book or the voice? You were scared and something crept inside your skull and used that fear to rule you. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
I... He tried to walk toward the book and fell to his knees. He tried to speak, but his mouth was an inky smudge, his words a hopeless wail. Sal wanted to be sick. Asante advanced toward the light and the podium. That book belongs with a person who will not let it rule her. The cross on the golden figure burned with shadow. She passed through the light, bowing a little beneath its weight as if it struck her like falling water. Then she was through and the light failed. She touched the codex umbra and closed her eyes and when she opened them again, the burning light was in her. She wept. Manchu took the shroud from his shoulder bag and held it out. Asante, give me the book. She bared her teeth in something that was not quite a smile. It is, Liam reflected bitterly on occasion, much harder to hit people so they stay down than media suggests. Even Peggy Carter indulged in the old one-punch knockout from time to time. To be fair, Liam did hit the first mercenary with the butt of his own gun and then trip the second without getting shot himself. But while struggling for Merc II's gun, of course Merc I got up, which divided Liam's attention because he had to break that guy's knee with the rifle, then shift back to headbutt the second, duck out of the way of a rifle blow. Oh, shit, he's going for the knife. Okay, hit him in the throat, maybe this time. At which point he realized he'd kept his eyes off Merc number one too long, long enough for the guy to go for his sidearm and Merc number one's arm broke at the elbow with a sickening crunch, and Grace stood over him, gun in hand, covered in deep cuts that closed as Liam watched. Grace spun a glorious circle and kicked Merc number two on the temple, and he fell. Ew, Liam said. I mean, can we talk about this later? The mirror erupted with light. Sure. She raised the gun and took aim. The light died. Manchu, Asante, and Sal stood in the tent. Manchu held a shroud-wrapped book. Behind them, the mirror warped back to its initial shape and shattered. On the ground, among broken pieces of homunculus, the bundle of skin split and opened like a flower. A man lay within, weeping. Sorry we missed the party, Sal said. Grace ejected the magazine and tossed the gun away. Took you long enough. Where's Norse? Asante shook her head. Somewhere else. Five. They escaped. There was a tense bit with Grace laying down covering fire while Liam rammed a stolen jeep through a perimeter fence and Manchu performed CPR on Mr. Alhadev's while Sal herself drove, but the salient point remained. Escape, Codex Umbra in hand, wrapped in the shroud, harmless for the moment. They took Alhadev's to a hospital. Then it was time for a party. Liam brought whiskey he'd smuggled in his carry-on bag. Grace changed into clothing that was, at the very least, less bloodstained and ran out for mixers. Sal DJed for the first hour until Manchu took over. The father's phone turned out to contain zero applications, save what came pre-installed, and 60 gigs of soul. Sal sang, she danced with the archivist. She poured drinks and muddled cherries in them. Why not? They'd won. How did you know, she asked Asante between dances. I didn't, she said, but neither did he. What? We're not so different, Norris and I. I hit him where I knew it would hurt the most, because it would hurt me. It's true, our search has been plagued by coincidences, but as many have helped us as hindered us. Likely, Norris was seduced by a demon. I wouldn't put it past him, 
But mere suspicion in that kind will do as if for surety, as the bard says. She leaned back against the wall and closed her eyes. The mind's our strongest tool, Sal. It can take anything in the world apart, including itself. And Diana Ross still sang. After a while, Sal couldn't bear it anymore. She stepped out onto the balcony, drink in both hands, staring out over rooftops toward the harbor and thought about underwater chains. Hey. She didn't turn to look. Liam joined her by the railing. You all right? I'm fine, she said. You could have died. Not really. Grace has my back. Even now that you know she's magic? Can't say I'm wild about that, but... He knocked back the last of his whiskey. Nah, I have a bad history with magic and demons, both. I can't blame her for being close with her past, given that. But we have to look out for one another. I guess so. Melting ice in her glass clinked and settled into a new formation. So, come on. Apocalypse averted, our biggest coup, and well, since I joined, at least. He offered her his hand. As friends, okay? Thank you. She took his hand and felt the strength she knew there. But it's been a long day. I almost got you killed. I need some rest. Of course, fine. He didn't sound as if it were, but he didn't press her either. Take care of yourself. They walked back into the party together, but he stayed, and she returned to her room alone. There is a house somewhere. Not in this world, or at least not in the part of this world you'll ever visit if you're lucky. Can you remember the last time you felt the sun? Can you feel its warmth on your face? If so, you're probably safe. But even if you are, trust me, there is a house somewhere. And in that house is a boy named Alex. And in that house, Alex runs, screaming, from a firelit room. He runs towards something. He hasn't reached it yet. Sal closed her hotel room door. In darkness, she walked to the bathroom and closed that door too. Fluorescent lights carved shadows from her face. Moths fluttered against the open window screen. She stared into her own reflection's eyes. I know you're in there, she said cautiously, as if testing whether she could speak the words aloud. Nothing happened. You overplayed it in the library bathroom. But then I guess you had to. Win now or walk, isn't that right? You couldn't afford to let Norse get your number. Crickets chirped. Like Asante said, you gave me hunches that always led us almost right. You sent Grace and Liam in to die knowing the homunculus would catch them because you wanted them out of the way. You made sure we found the library. You made sure I remembered where to go at the right time. You even helped us work the spell. I wondered. Damn it. Her throat choked off her breath. Her eyes burned. A tear rolled down the curve of her cheek. She saw the tear but could not feel it. I wondered why silver tarnished so fast on me. I wondered why I could close your book with my bare hands. She was wrong. The mind can take anything apart, even itself. This was stress and terror and the afterglow of magic, that was all. 
Give me my brother back, you son of a bitch. She couldn't finish the words. Her eyes closed. When they opened, they were pools of blood. And from her tongueless mouth, a voice of fire answered, No. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. No matter how far you run from them, childhood tragedies have a way of catching back up with you. So is true of elite scuba diver Veronica West, who is about to encounter something unexplainable at the bottom of the ocean, something that will draw her back to her home on Sinclair Island, Maine. There, she'll lead a dangerous rescue mission to the bottom of the Bay of Fundy, home of the world's largest tides, and something horrific down in the depths. Listen to Narcosis, the latest horror fiction show on Realm's premier horror channel, Undertow. Narcosis is available now. Search for Undertow or Narcosis wherever podcasts are served. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith and additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.